Hello and welcome to another episode of Virtual Legality. I'm your host, Richard Hogue, managing member of the Hogue Law Business Law Firm of Northville, Michigan. And today we have a story that's near and dear to my heart and near and dear to the Hogue family's heart about Bungie, Destiny, their expansion, Forsaken, and whether or not they have the right to vault things, to take things away from you, the player, for good or ill reasons. Before we get into the specifics, though, I want to mention that this is a channel supported by patrons like you through the Patreon platform. And as part of that support, one of the tiers that you can choose to support the channel with gets you special thanks. You're sponsoring an episode of this virtual legality series, and it couldn't happen without folks like you. Today, that special thanks goes to a patron named Nord, with whom I could not do the things that I do on this channel. So I do want to give special thanks to Nord. And if you're interested in supporting the channel through that Patreon, please do check it out. Now to talk about some specifics here, it's important to note what Bungie's doing and why it's so important to me. First and foremost, I love the Forsaken expansion. Destiny 2 came out of the gates when Bungie was pitching it as something of an off-putting notion. You were losing the progress that you had in Destiny 1. There were changes made to really make the game look a little bit more like a Call of Duty, different box art, different sensibility with respect to ammo types, etc., etc. And to my mind, in terms of quality, they really churned the corner when they released the Forsaken expansion. It's one of the first major expansions to their Destiny 2 project. But I have to admit, I'm somewhat biased on this score. You see, Forsaken was made through the help of an Activision subsidiary company named High Moon Studios. And if you're familiar with my work here in virtual legality, that name might ring a bell because it's a studio in which my brother works. He currently works on the Call of Duty franchise, but for a time, High Moon Studios was working on Destiny 2 and with specificity on creating the Forsaken expansion. So when we're talking about this news item, if you like me feisty, you're going to hear me feisty. This isn't a standard virtual legality. I'm going to be responding to those folks that ask me to talk about the legal nature of this question. Of course, that's what we do here. But I feel very strongly from a consumer protection perspective, from an archival perspective, that this, the way Bungie is doing business, is fundamentally wrong, regardless of what the terms and conditions say. And I'm going to be talking about that on an editorial basis. So if you like that, that's great. If you don't, I totally understand. You can catch us in the next video. Too long, didn't read. Bungie probably has the right to do this. We're going to check that out. But should they? I would argue very definitely not. Now, what is this? That's what we like to talk about here. I've pulled up a blog post from June 9th, 2020, entitled Building a Viable Future in Destiny 2. And they give us some useful bullet points. We don't want to read an entire blog post from more than a year ago, even though I had meant to do a video on this very topic back then. But other things came up, maybe a few lawsuits, maybe some other happenings that occurred in virtual legality. Too long, didn't read. Destiny 2 is too large to efficiently update and maintain. Instead of building a Destiny 3 and leaving Destiny 2 players behind, each year we are going to cycle older less actively played content out of the live game and into what we're calling the Destiny Content Vault. And if that naming convention sounds familiar to you, you might be a Disney fan who has been putting things in the quote-unquote vault in order to resell them to you years later for a very long time. It's part of their business model. We will bring back or quote-unquote unvault activity and destination content from the DCV each year. More on that in a second. Unvaulting starts in D2 year four, with the Cosmodrome coming back, as well as its three strikes and the return 
of the Vault of Glass raid. And yes, it took every bit of my willpower to not make some kind of pun based on the name Vault of Glass in the thumbnail. You're welcome. The primary D2 content leaving the game and going into the DCV this fall are the destinations Mars, Io, Titan, Mercury, and Leviathan, and their supported activities. And if you're keeping score at home, yes, last year they gave you back something that they had originally sold to you in Destiny 1 and took out Mars, Io, Titan, Mercury, and Leviathan for the trouble. If that sounds even to you, well, you're probably a Bungie fan, and I'm glad you're getting what you want out of this experience. But suffice it to say... This rubbed some people the wrong way. And again, to editorialize, I want to talk about why. If you're new to virtual legality, you might not know this. I'm a lawyer. I'm a corporate lawyer. I'm often talking about how businesses come to the decisions they are making. And I can totally make the case from a business perspective, sitting in a bungee boardroom as to why this makes sense. Hey, we have to spend too much time. We have to spend too many resources working on this thing. People aren't playing it. I can give you all the economics here. And indeed they do through the remainder of this blog post. As of this writing, Destiny 2 features nine destinations, 40 story missions, 54 adventures, etc., etc., etc. And the sizes of these things not only stress hard drive capacity, which of course is an even bigger deal moving into the next generation where you're using solid state drives that are actually oftentimes smaller than what you had in the previous generation of consoles, it also makes the time to generate a stable update for the game after all content is finalized, tested, and ready to go, balloon to literal days instead of hours. Worse still, the size of the various installed things doesn't match up with the amount of time you're playing it, and so we think we're justified in doing this. To which I would respond, yes, that makes sense to you. On the other hand, I don't care as a consumer of your product that has paid you money for Destiny 1 and Destiny 2 and Forsaken separately what your problems are in terms of maintaining what you sold to me. And if you want to come into the comments and explain why this is okay to you as a Destiny fan, I don't mind that at all. Especially if you're up to speed on everything, if you're not being going through the uptake process of starting new light and everything they've tried to do to bring people into the fold. I don't necessarily blame you. You're looking at this, you're leaving me comments on my Twitter that says, I haven't played Forsaken in three years. What could the problem possibly be? Okay, but it's going to be a problem for some people. And fundamentally, this kind of excuse making, which is to say, we didn't build our game right. We didn't contemplate out what an MMO-like approach to game development would be. And so rather than going to a Destiny 3, potentially losing more of our player base, doing something that we don't want to like, spending resources to build something in the back end that could potentially be swapped with what you've already purchased, we're just going to take away what you already own. And Destiny 2 will be about a 100 gigabyte game all time, and we're just going to take out the stuff that you used to have in order to replace it with new stuff, which, by the way, isn't coming to you for free. We're going to sell it to you. We think we nailed this business model. What do you think? And to my surprise, a lot of people online agree with them. Say, well, they've got problems, right? It gets too big. It takes too long to patch. If we didn't do this, they wouldn't be able to fix it. To which I say again, it's fundamentally not my problem, which leads us to the announcement they made on October 7th. Last summer, we introduced the Destiny Content Vault. I love the fact that this is introduced in the blog post like it's a feature. As part of our commitment to the future of Destiny 2, it's a commitment to something, the DCV was created to help us achieve our vision for the game through our trio of upcoming expansions and beyond. By cycling select content into the DCV, the team has been able to focus on bringing you new activities and adventures at an incredible pace with weekly updates that introduce new gameplay wrinkles, new activities to enjoy, and that push the Destiny narrative forward. 
Now let's talk about that sentence just a bit because I do think they push the Destiny narrative forward. They've really kind of focused on that as part of the enhancements, starting at Forsaken, maybe a little bit from the Destiny 2 original recipe. The problem is when you cut out things like all of the original content, now the Forsaken expansion, and you're trying to tell a serial story, you've got issues. And Destiny 2 has some legitimate storytelling in it at this point. And yet if you try to grapple with what has happened before you joined the game at this point, especially with things like Forsaken being taken out. It's like watching a show like Breaking Bad, one of my favorite shows of all time, and trying to figure out what's happening, joining during season three instead of season one, and maybe having YouTube summaries to guide you along. It's no way to run a railroad, and it's no way to get the best out of what should hopefully be be a fairly gripping narrative. And yet, Bungie says, well, we're just going to press on. Upgrades such as drastically reducing our patch response times, improving loading times, offering quicker access to UI, such as your inventory or the map, and others link directly to the opportunities that the vault has created for the team. And understand what these paragraphs are doing, right? We talk about messaging in this space. It's trying to get those folks that are big Bungie fans that are going to go out into the world and evangelize for them, explaining what advantages you get. And I have no doubt that these are true. I don't think that Bungie is lying to us. I think there are problems in their pipeline, in their engine, whatever it might be, in the back end that have created these issues. But again, I say in terms of consumerism, in terms of the person playing the game, it's not your problem. A car manufacturer can't sell you something with a defunct computer and say, yeah, it took too long to maintain. Sorry about that car accident. We'll fix it up with the next one, but also we'd like another 200 bucks for it. That's what you're looking at here is a product that doesn't work after a fashion and now they're changing it so that it does by taking away what you already held. Do they have the legal right? Mm, We'll take a look. Certainly, it will be very difficult to argue against. Looking ahead, looking behind, a carefully curated selection of content will be taken out of the DCV. That's what they promised in that blog post we read, including a classic raid, undefined, two PvP maps from Destiny 2, and one classic PvP map from the original Destiny. I understand, when they say they're bringing stuff back out of the vault, it's stuff you already bought. Maybe not if you didn't buy Destiny 1, but with respect to things like two PvP maps from Destiny 2, that's stuff they took away last year that they're now giving back to you in efforts to make you grateful to them. It's a very, very odd business model. And then we get to the rubber hitting the road. Beginning on February 22nd, the Forsaken campaign and the Tangled Shore destination will enter the DCV. Note, the Dreaming City destination will continue to be available, along with year four seasonal content, including the Presage and Harbinger exotic missions. We understand the unique value of these definitively destiny experiences and are investigating ways to reprise and create new exciting exotic special missions within Destiny 2 for the future. They're not bringing back any destinations. They're bringing back a few maps and a raid. They're getting rid of, in my opinion, the best content that they have ever made, which they are responsible for, as well as High Moon Studios. And they're saying we might look into getting you some exotic special missions in the future. And I highlighted that note that Dreaming City Destination will continue to be available because it's a bit odd. You're getting rid of the Forsaken campaign. You're getting rid of the Tangled Shore. The Dreaming City goes specifically with that content, although it's certainly a patrol area that people very much like. It's a very artistic place in Destiny 2. But it's also worth noting, if you go and you look at articles about the development of Forsaken, here I've pulled up 
a clip from an article that was in Edge in 2018 that describes how High Moon Studios was tasked with doing this on the part of Activision, you will see that High Moon was responsible in part for the campaign and the Tangled Shore. And who was responsible for the Dreaming City? Well, I bet you can guess it's Bungie, which also leads into this odd situation when you're looking at the vaulting and thinking, well, for the most part, they're vaulting the stuff that had to do with Activision. Obviously, that relationship ended somewhat acrimoniously, and they split the Forsaken expansion into the stuff that High Moon and Activision worked on and the stuff that they worked on. And I don't mean to disparage Bungie on this. Bungie obviously had kind of final authority over even the work that High Moon Studios was doing. They were part and parcel working together on the entire project. But it certainly comes across as we're going to try to cut all ties regardless of what it does to our story and regardless of the quality of the content presented. And I'm not saying this is someone that played Forsaken three years ago and never played it again. I literally played Forsaken about a month ago. Why? because I was trying to test the onboarding for a new character in their campaign and finding myself with a big hole in light level, which is power level in Destiny, after I finished the tutorializing and before I could actually do any of the content that I had recently purchased. So you have to find something to play and what made the most sense in terms of level, excitement, and quality was the Forsaken campaign, which will now be quite Forsaken as you won't be available to play it. So that's the situation that they've put forth. They say, you can relive the campaign. It will be available for free from December 7th until February 2022. A little bit unclear why it's not free from the day that they're making this announcement. But they also mentioned, hey, on December 7th, the Forsaken pack will be available for purchase and you can get some goodies. Everyone who previously purchased Forsaken will automatically own the new pack and will receive the three Forsaken ciphers directly in their inventory, which to me suggests that they understand that this is a problem. Unlike the stuff that they removed originally, which was a part of the overall Destiny 2 package, which is getting modified consistently. Forsaken is different. Forsaken is sold separately. Forsaken on the Bungie store, you can buy right now for $25, describing the adventures you'll have with respect to an escape from the Prison of Elders and Cade 6, etc., etc. And yet, even though they're selling it separately, this is going to go away almost entirely in just a few months. They're really riding the lightning on not telling folks what it is they're selling directly in their own store right now. So that's the situation as I see it. I think this model is pretty much deplorable. And I think the excuses they make are useful to folks that really want to defend Bungie on these things, but they're not excuses that you or I or anyone else that buys games should care about. Not the least of which for the reason that there are other games that are bigger, that have more stuff, that consistently don't delete the stuff that you used to have, whether that's World of Warcraft, Final Fantasy XIV, or any other number of games in the MMO genre, which make no mistake, Destiny finds itself in. They might not charge monthly, but they just charge in monthly chunks. They sell expansions like The Witch Queen, like Forsaken, and others, and then essentially amortize out what would be a monthly subscription price for Destiny. The fact that others in this space can do it, the fact that Bungie apparently didn't plan to do it in a way that wouldn't break their system sounds like a personal problem, and it should be one that you correct, Bungie, but I don't have to be on your side when you tell me that deleting it makes it easier for you. I do not care. Which leads us to, of course, the question that so many people ask me. Can they do this? Can they do this when they're selling it separately, when it's not just Destiny 2, when they're taking away something that was sold for real American dollars or whatever currency you might find yourself using in the jurisdiction of your choice, can they remove these things? 
And frankly, I was looking for answers when I started researching the question. And first and foremost, you go to the software license agreement page on the Bungie website and you get this juicy tidbit. Content not found. The requested content does not exist. So we're off to a great start. Fortunately, the space in which they put this license changed a couple times by the looks of things. And if you go and you scroll down to their trying to sell you Forsaken right now on October 13th, despite the fact it will be free in a month and a half and not available at all in about three or four months, you can find a link that will actually take you to some useful information. The Bungie Limited Software License Agreement. Now, if this isn't your first rodeo in virtual legality, you already know this is going to be painful. One of the reasons I started this channel was to talk to you about how draconian and one-sided end-user license agreements, especially in the video game space, are. So we're going to be walking through that a little bit, and it should come as no surprise that Bungie essentially reserves for itself the right to do whatever it likes. But what might be a little bit more surprising is just how draconian it is. So let's take a look. Important notice for residents in North America only, this agreement is subject to a waiver of class action rights as detailed below. Good start. Also note that this is highlighted because in American case law, one of the things that comes up on an equitable principles basis is that we might not, as a court, enforce terms that are really important to the customer relationship if you bury them in the middle of a click-through document. I would argue that what we're about to discuss in this video is that important. And so I would say that for full enforceability, it really should be highlighted up top. So at bare minimum, if you're just going to directly to the accept button, then you can see that they're reserving the right to take everything away from you. How do they get there? Let's look at some definitions. Use of this software, which is called the program, is subject to the software license agreement. If you are under the age of majority in your jurisdiction or 18 years of age, whichever is older, please ask your parent or guardian to read and accept this agreement on your behalf before you use the program. Why do they say that? Well, if you're not in the age of majority, you actually can't really sign contracts with other parties. And then Bungie starts to have a problem because they don't actually have a contractual relationship with you. So if you're under 18, you're technically not allowed to just click through and play Bungie. I bet you that there are a couple of folks that are under 18 that are playing anyway. Who could guess? By opening this package, downloading, installing, and or using the program, you accept the terms of this agreement. You open the box, you're in. And the box would have a link to this kind of thing on the back, hopefully not to the one that's just an error message, but I couldn't tell you. I don't have a box of Destiny 2 to check out. Now, you get a limited use license as we talk about. You don't get sold software. It is licensed to you, which means the copyright holder can put certain terms and conditions on it. It says Bungie grants to you the non-exclusive, personal, non-transferable, limited right and license to, to do what? Install and use one copy of this program solely for your non-commercial use. That is the only thing you have the license to do and in the next sentence, they say all rights not specifically granted are reserved by Bungie. So as we talk about in this space, copyright says Bungie has the entire rights to display it, to promote it, to distribute it, to make derivative works, all these things. And they're licensing to you the right to play it on your PlayStation, not to stream it, not to otherwise talk about it necessarily. And that is important. Any use of the program in violation of the license limitations will result in an immediate termination of your license and you are prohibited from doing things like copying, reproducing, distributing, displaying, or using any part of this program except as expressly authorized by Bungie herein. Now, Bungie doesn't mind if you stream it. They want you to market their game, but they also want to have the ability in their terms and conditions to say, oh, are you, are you broadcasting this game on Twitch? Heaven forfend, we had no idea. You are having your license immediately terminated. 
This is the kind of thing that needs to be addressed in end user license agreements. Now, in respect of live and time limited game elements, the program and its live game environment change over time. Bungie does not guarantee that you will be able to participate in all events or earn all in-game achievements. Some in-game elements, including without limitation, capital L, capital C live content associated with season passes are made available to players for a limited time. Now, I actually think Bungie's lawyers make a few mistakes here. If you read these, you can see that this seems to be referencing a concept of time-limited game elements that is mostly associated with events, achievements, and season passes. That isn't what we're talking about with respect to the vault. It also isn't, in terms of legalese, controlling on what they say here. It says, basically, it doesn't guarantee you that you'll be able to participate in anything over time. And then they give some examples. But a reasonable person, especially a non-lawyer, could look at the examples they give, look at the context of this paragraph and say, I thought you were talking about season passes, in-game achievements, that kind of thing, not anything broader, which is why that's not the only language they include. First, like any other end user license agreement, they reserve the right to change it basically whenever they like. They can post those modifications just to their website or they can require you to click through again. And then we get to the big issue, live content. The term live content consists of content provided to program users in connection with use of the program. And I highlighted only that and not the parenthetical because that's the legally operative sentence. And if you think that sounds tautological or doesn't define anything at all, you are completely right. Congratulations, you've graduated from virtual legality law school, not a real law school. Consists of content provided to program users in connection with the use of the program is everything. And then in the parenthetical, they give examples. Unlockable content, sure. Gear, live events, okay. Activities, destinations, accounts, stats, virtual assets, virtual currencies, codes, and achievements. You might say, Rick, did they just say virtual currencies like the ones I buy? We'll get to that in a second. Then they say, oh, by the way, when we use the term buy, which you might recall from previous virtual legality episodes, we don't really mean buy. That's just useful marketing for us. While the program may allow you to earn, buy, or purchase live content within or in connection with gameplay, you do not, in fact, own or have any property interest in the live content. Just so we're clear, we're just using words to make you think one thing, but that doesn't count because surely you got to the live content paragraph when you click through our end user license agreement. Live content may be altered, removed, deleted, or discontinued by Bungie at any time. For example, upon termination of this agreement and or cessation of online support for the program. And there's another area where I think the Bungie lawyers have made at least a small mistake. Even if you have not used or consumed the live content prior to alteration, removal, deletion, or discontinuation, some live content, including without limitation activities, maps, and gear may be made available to players for only a limited time. In fact, this whole paragraph is talking about the fact that Bungie can always announce a new limited time as they did in the blog post, and yet they keep making this distinction. Now, that mistake I mentioned earlier is in this parenthetical, just like I talked about above. They say live content may be altered or removed, and then they give an example as upon termination of the agreement, that makes sense, we're kicking you out, or cessation of online support, we're canceling destiny, and they don't give an example of vaulting. They don't give an example of anything that might alert the common reasonable person reading this license agreement that they could just take stuff out that you have bought, particularly if you bought Forsaken today or tomorrow. So I view that as a problem because courts can look at the content and say, well, there's no reason that somebody would have handed over $60 to you in year X if they knew 
that you could just take away their stuff. Despite these sentences, every suggestion that you make, even the defined term itself, live content, doesn't suggest the planet you're standing on. It suggests the events, the achievements, the seasonal stuff, not everything else. Not saying Bungie wouldn't win that. I think they would at the end of the day. But there are these kinds of minor footfalls in which somebody could make an argument if they were so inclined. Some live content, including without limitation activities, maps, and gear may be made available to players for only a limited time. And then talking about virtual currency, by purchasing or otherwise acquiring virtual currency, you obtain a limited license, here's great, which is revocable by Bungie at any time unless otherwise required by applicable laws to access and select from other live content. Subject to applicable local law, virtual currency is non-refundable. So a couple of things here. One, outside of legislative bodies passing laws, Bungie says you buy virtual currency, give us $100 for the best value of whatever the heck Destiny V-Bucks are called. And Bungie can say, eh, it's revocable at any time. Uh, they're canceled. Oh, really, Bungie? And then I'd like a refund. No, no, no. Look at this sentence in the middle of your end user license agreement. You don't get a refund. Now, fortunately, laws are catching up with this a little bit, but you might want to talk to your local legislature and make sure that you're covered on this score. Certainly the folks that are going to enter in my comments and say, I'm not from the United States. and We've got vast consumer protection laws on these kinds of things. Honestly, are going to be better protected than you or I in some of the jurisdictions in which we live in the United States. Bully for you. You got a legislature that is at least paying attention to aspects of this. But Bungie itself wrote down in black and white in their end user license agreement, we can take away that money you bought. We can take away destinations or anything else that we want. And so broadly, just from the words on the page, it does in fact look like they have the ability to vault this stuff, even if you or I don't like it. From a legal perspective, we're going to talk about one potential avenue for fighting that in just a second. Then we see availability. Bungie does not guarantee that any online services player features associated with the program or live content will be available at all times or at any given time, or that Bungie will continue to offer online services or live content for any particular length of time. Bungie may change and update online services or live content without notice to you. So Bungie looks at it and says, well, look, <laughs> you signed this. We reserved the right to get rid of it whenever we like. We didn't guarantee you'd have access to it ever. And so we gave you like four months. What are you even complaining about, man? And from a legal perspective, court might look at this and say, what are you complaining about, man? On the other hand, you can look at this sentence that I highlighted in red and say, well, this is actually best read to talk about disruptions. We're not guaranteeing that we won't have some kind of server failure and we don't want you to be able to sue us over that. So it's a standard sentence in that light. It's a little bit less standard on, we took away Mars, can't have Mars anymore. It was right in your end user license agreement. You should check that out. And I should note here that this is the most recent version of their end user license agreement. Chances are it wasn't weaker towards Bungie years ago, whenever you might've purchased these products. But if it was, you can bring that up in the comments and we can talk about specific language therein. Then you see the class action waiver, which is a term that a lot of people don't like. It prevents you from connecting as a class, requires binding arbitration, gets you out of court. Bungie doesn't wanna have to deal with you publicly if you've got a problem with the way they're doing business. And finally, it's noted that this entire contract is to be read as governed by Washington law and you consent to the exclusive jurisdiction of King County, Washington. If you do get past the binding arbitration, the class action waiver, whatever it might be, you got to go to their home base, take the flight out, hire the lawyers out there, stay in a hotel, whatever it might be, out in Washington to even have the dispute with them. Now, I have to say, this isn't that unusual for an end user license agreement. Some of you are going to be watching virtual legality for the first time and say, oh my God, how could Bungie write that? This is relatively par for the course for these kinds of documents. Other folks in my comments will probably let you know that and direct you to other videos. 
But it's a big deal when the company isn't just using standard language to kind of put hot fixes in and change things to fix its game, but taking large swaths of the content that you paid for out of the agreement. And what I like to use as an example to talk to folks about this is if you imagine that Destiny 2 today existed as you knew it, and tomorrow Bungie replaced it with the Bungie accounting calculator, and that was what you had access to. Even though they have all this language that says, we're not guaranteeing you any specific live content, it'll be whatever we say. Yes, you might have some kind of false advertising claim against them, but from a contract basis, words on the page, you wouldn't have a claim against them. And you probably know intuitively the courts wouldn't allow that kind of thing. How do they get there? How do they get to doing something about that kind of activity? Well, it's through a doctrine called good faith and fair dealing. And for purposes of this conversation, I brought up with specificity a Washington court case specifically on this doctrine. Now, it's to be noted, this is an unpublished opinion. It doesn't really matter to you and I. You couldn't really cite it as precedent if you were bringing a brief in the Washington court. So, you know, don't, don't plan your legal briefs based on virtual legality. Obviously, I have the disclaimer at the end. Don't do anything uh, in terms of legal advice based on virtual legality. But it's still useful for understanding how the doctrine is perceived in the state of Washington. So as an exemplar, we have right now a contract between a company named Nova and a city. And it says Nova is going to send several submittals for how it's going to engineer this fix for the city. And the contract provides that the city will review those submittals, that the city's decisions will be final, and that Nova would bear all risk and cost of work delays caused by non-approval of any submittals. Those are normal terms in a contract. If you're going to try to get some engineering work done, you're going to outsource it. You're going to say, hey, I get to approve what it is that you plan to do. And if you keep submitting bad things to me, I can keep rejecting it. And if that drives you past the date you promised to get me the project, then you can be harmed by it. But much like some of the stuff we've talked in virtual legality about, such as with publishing contracts and things like that, you can go too far with this. And so it was in this particular case. On August 11th, the city told the Nova to start going. The city then rejected almost all of the submittals. On September 4th, they accused Nova of being in default. And then there was a big fight about good faith and fair dealing. Under Washington law, every contract is subject to an implied duty of good faith and fair dealing. This duty obligates the parties to a contract to cooperate with each other so that each party may benefit from full performance. To identify whether a breach of the duty of good faith and fair dealing has occurred, Washington courts have looked to a party's justified expectations under their contract. Did you expect Mars and Io and Titan and Leviathan to go away when you bought it? The Supreme Court has stated that the duty of good faith requires faithfulness to an agreed common purpose and consistency with the justified expectations of the other party. Chances are you didn't expect that. They then go to the restatement on this particular topic to find the following. Bad faith, a problem for Bungie, may be overt or may consist of inaction and fair dealing may require more than honesty. A complete catalog of types of bad faith is impossible, but the following types are among those which have been recognized. Evasion of the spirit of the bargain, lack of diligence in slacking off, willful rendering of imperfect performance, abuse of a power to specify terms, and interference with or failure to cooperate in the other party's performance. And I highlighted evasion and abuse in red because if you were going to get Bungie on this particular score, and I think it's very difficult to do, it should be said, you'd get them on using language that was in their contract to do something that the other party couldn't have really thought that they would do and taking away the benefit of the bargain from that party. Significantly, the Supreme Court cases in the restatement commentary do not suggest that the defendant must intend to harm the plaintiff. The fact that Bungie has an excuse 
for this kind of thing, that it doesn't want to harm its customer base, which I don't think anybody is accusing them of, doesn't mean that they get out of this kind of analysis. But there's a major wrinkle. In Washington, they said the duty of good faith and fair dealing applies when a party has discretionary authority to determine a contract term. On the other hand, if a contract gives a party unconditional authority to determine a term, there is no duty of good faith and fair dealing. In this case, the contract stated that the city shall be satisfied that all the work is done in accordance with the requirements of the contract, and the city was therefore required to exercise its discretion in a manner that was consistent with those requirements. We hold that the contract gave the city discretionary authority, not unconditional authority to accept or reject submittals, and the duty of good faith and fair dealing therefore applied. By comparison, when we look at the provisions that might be a problem here, the notion of live and time-limited game elements, the notion of quote-unquote live content, from my eyes, I look at something that looks far more unconditional, right? Live content consists of these things. You do not own them. Live content may be altered, removed, deleted, or discontinued by Bungie at any time. Now, here's where that lawyer's footfall might get them in a little trouble. Because even though the sentence says discontinued by Bungie at any time, the examples given, which don't really control the sentence, but might provide context for a reasonable reader, says only termination and cessation of the online support for the program. The program is all of Destiny 2, not just trying to get rid of something like Mars or like Forsaken. In fact, this is the opposite of ceasing online support for the program. They have told their readers that they want to support it more and thus the previous work has to be killed. Do they get out of these provisions with a good faith and fair dealing argument? I would say that they probably don't. You can't probably hit Bungie on this score. They've probably written it well enough to not be able to sue them. And certainly as black and white letter law for this kind of thing, if you don't take into account those kinds of equitable principles brought by good faith and fair dealing, then they definitely wrote it, as you would expect, to allow them to basically do anything. Is that what you or I should want out of the video game industry from the games that we play and the companies that we support with our hard-earned dollars? I would say no. I would say that Bungie has crossed a line that really no other publisher has by doing this and that they should address that with their users. Yes, I love Forsaken. I love it regardless of the fact that my brother helped make it. I love it because it turned a corner for the Destiny 2 project, but I personally won't be playing Destiny 2 until at least some of this is corrected, which is what I said to Paul Tassi at Forbes, what I've said on Twitter when people have asked me, and not a lot of people agree with me, at least that are Bungie and Destiny fans, but I say, honestly, I don't think the article that Paul wrote on this was harsh enough at a fundamental level, as I said at the top of this video, whatever issues Bungie may have with upkeep for what it sold, it's not the consumer's problem, and they deserve every single bit of the vitriol they are receiving. I hope, sincerely, that it moves them to reconsider how they are handling this and certainly how they are communicating with the player base that has gotten them as far as it has. Again, I'd like to give a special thanks to Nord, patron of Virtual Legality, for helping make this episode possible. If you would like to support the channel like Nord, please check out our Patreon. We've also got other ways to support the channel down below. Every single little bit helps there. And if you just want to subscribe, tell your friends, ring the bell, upvote, downvote, comment, share it on Reddit, other forums. That helps absolutely as well. If you caught this on YouTube, thank you so much for watching. And if you listen to it as a podcast, thank you so much for listening. And I will catch you on the very next episode of Virtual Legality.
Virtual Legality is a YouTube video series with audio podcast versions presented as commentary and for education and entertainment purposes only. It does not constitute legal advice and does not create an attorney-client relationship. If you have legal questions about the topics discussed, please consult your own legal counsel.